Today's guest is Jordan Luke Collier. Jordan is the head instructor of Arza Morada, which is the it's a company that teaches men about women and beauty and how to live the life of uh, an adventurous human being. And you may know uh, Zan Perrion, who's been on the podcast, is uh, the visionary behind that movement. And Jordan's a good friend. Uh, we've known each other for quite a while. I think right when he was starting to work with Arza Morada and, and lead his own workshops, um, this was before I even started. Many years ago, we met in Brooklyn, and he and I, he's been on the podcast already as well. He lives not too far from me here in Chiang Mai, and we had a really great discussion over pizza and beer a couple weeks before this conversation. I really wish that I had recorded that one as well. We tried to recreate as much as we could and, and go off of those tangents. We're speaking about beauty, which is something that if you follow Zen or you know Arza Murata, they speak about that much more than, than me. I, I find it interesting. We had Hans Komen on not too long, I mean, last year. We used to work with them and he also speaks a lot about beauty is um, something that you know, I don't think about day to day, but I think it's a, a really awesome and fun way to look at the world, not just in terms of relating to women or, or in relationships, although there's plenty of practical application. Uh, this conversation with Jordan in particular, it kind of goes beyond that, which I think is part of a part of the man's journey. I think every guy who say isn't, isn't as confident as he wants to be and isn't connecting with women as much as he wants to be, like in the beginning, there's a stage of development where you have to conquer that, right? And then there's another stage where you're kind of getting your needs met and you kind of have a lot of choice. Now you can choose to be with the type of women you want to be with. You don't have a feeling scarcity in that area of your life and then jordan and i started speaking though about what's the level after that where women and seduction and sex and and that, that stuff is like it's like kind of taken not taken for granted but it's like it's a given in your life and you no longer feel like that's the primary problem you have to solve well what do you solve and then there's other it's not just with with dating there's you can apply the same exact model to money you don't have it you finally do have it and then what happens when you don't need it anymore and this is kind of where our discussion went where Certainly a more philosophical one of like, what is beauty and, and is it subjective? Is it objective? He references the work of Sir Roger Scruton, who I am not familiar with. I'm becoming more familiar with, but I guess he's working with Arzan Murad on different things. But anyway, this is a fun discussion. A little bit of uh, speak on pop culture, which I, I don't I don't normally comment on at all, but uh, it's fun. So do you have any announcements? The Archetype Challenge is still available. There are coaching sessions available this month with it. And anything else? I think that's it. If you didn't join my new members area, which is free at rwanda.com, I'll put in your email, join my email list, and you will get free access to my archives of five plus years of interviews and other things that I don't publish online because, as you know, I don't keep a blog or anything like that. So anyway, that's available at rwanda.com. Right now, you're listening to episode 076, Jordan Luke Collier. Is beauty subjective? You're listening to the Rwando Podcast, part of the Gotham Podcast Studio Network in New York, New York. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate it wherever you listen to podcasts. This might show there's no spinach in my teeth. Yeah. <laughs> no spinach eat. check. Okay. <laughs> spinach check. Fried chicken check. Cool. Great. So uh, we're here in Thailand. Uh, so for everyone watching, listening, you may be hearing the sounds of Thailand in the background. We're not sure how sensitive the mic is. There's some neighborhood Thai boys playing in the yard, uh, playing with the eight puppies. It's another story. Probably not. won't get into it. Um, and yeah, airplanes and stuff. But it's your standard yeah. disclaimer nowadays. Right? I guess so. Yeah, it's better, uh, you know, when, when you, just like with anything in dating, you, you own up to it up front, then it's not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> when it happens later. Cool. How have you been? Good. Cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we had an amazing discussion over pizza. I guess it was an uh, I guess an Amirati meetup, but it was just us hanging out <laughs> for for that evening. Yeah. Um, and we spoke about a lot of things, and I really wish we recorded it. So I hope that I hope that this conversation can do justice to our private one a few weeks ago. Um, but we were speaking on beauty, and I remember us like kind of I guess we were philosophically pondering objective beauty. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything off the top on that, or if you remember? some of our fascinating points before objective beauty rather than subjective beauty right because you were speaking about i'm uh i'm gonna mess up his name sir uh sir roger roger scruton sir roger yeah. scruton yeah um and he was arguing that classical music is the only uh is like is like the but the pinnacle of beauty is that right yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> depending on what you're listening to exactly yeah yeah and i was i was thinking about that with um a, a, an area where maybe you or i are more maybe i spent more time thinking about women dating that's probably the entry point when a guy starts pondering beauty uh is that um and certainly there's a wide variance in what men are drawn to in music and women and all that sorts of things uh, I was wondering if you had any thoughts uh, since on this topic of CGP. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can um, start off and follow the breadcrumb trail and see where it leads us. I think when it comes to men in this conversation that we're in about women, um, sex, relationship, attraction, one of the big things that men in our community start to discern is like, oh, she's hot. There's mm -hmm. a hot woman, but here is a beautiful woman. Mm -hmm. And it's a categorically different kind of experience. Mm -hmm. So one is like the, the, the lustful eyes feasting on some imagined, you know, this woman is hot and I've been brought up or taught to believe that this woman is hot. Mm -hmm. But then there's beauty, which strikes us in a very different way. And mm -hmm. so I think when we come across an experience of seeing a woman who's beauty hits us through maybe a different sense, mm -hmm. even a sixth sense mm -hmm. than just the eyes because she's got the right face or right. the right colored hair of the season or the right curves that are in fashion because of what's happening in pop culture at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, then it, it raises a big question like, wow, I've been looking at all these kind of iconic women all these years thinking that's beauty. But when I actually get to know them, there's not much real juice or revelation or transcendence or excitement or anything mm -hmm. uh, nourishing for the soul in that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I can meet a woman who might totally belie the cultural standards of hotness, mm -hmm. and yet she gives me something that's so much more fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, what was that? That's, that's the question and the meditation, like the yeah. deep multi-year thing that I don't think we can still put words on. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, we could go in circles philosophically on this objective beauty thing, but like, if a, if a woman has that, isn't it, not every man is going to see it that way in, in a given person or a given art piece. But, um, I guess the Roger Scruton argument is that there are some things that have just like, no matter what, it will touch you. And if it yeah. doesn't, it's a, an imitation of some, something else or pulling on heartstrings that aren't like quality heartstrings, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe to frame the, the conversation a little bit, there's this, if we're completely following the cultural script, mm -hmm. there is an objective standard of beauty. 
So in the late 90s, when I was a teenager, Pamela Anderson was the hottest. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was like Britney Spears and uh -huh. everyone else was just like a weak imitation, right? Right. So if you wanted to be a hot girl, you had to have big boobs, long blonde hair, but didn't really matter too much. It was right. 10 years later when yeah. that came into fashion. When J-Lo. Yeah, exactly. She changed the cultural yeah. script. Um, so there's an objective beauty and I remember being at school with my friends and like we'd rate the girls out of 10 and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff for how close they got to the to the that objective beauty and then we see beyond that a little bit and then it's like well actually there are there are other women that break the mold that are interesting and mm -hmm. our, our taste refine and develop and once we get out of that cultural norm we can start to think for ourselves what's most beautiful and then we can have all kinds of different subjective tastes and I can't say yet, well, I could say like Ruan and taste in women is a bit strange or <laughs> whatever it is. And we yeah. might have a fight about that. Yeah. But um, all of a sudden, the, the notion of what's beautiful has been deconstructed. Mm -hmm. And so we all follow our individual preference. Mm -hmm. And that's a massive evolution. Like we could talk about women's beauty or men's beauty, or we could talk about art. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing in art. There used to be like really strong standards of you know, this is a good painting. This is worth putting in a gallery. This is going to give you the qualification needed to get into art school mm -hmm. or like you don't make the grade or yeah. whatever it is, right? So it's like we, we could objectivize that art and have really good criteria that everyone nods their head and strokes their chin and agrees right. on. Yeah. And then it all disperses and then we've got, you know, the, the, the French guy with the, with the urinal yeah. in, the, in the museum. People didn't know if it was really a urinal, like a piss pot or a uh -huh. piece of art. And for him, it was a piece of art. And it was this great trick. Art doesn't have to be beautiful. It's just whatever we put in an art museum, we can uh -huh. proclaim as That's art. That's the postmodernist, uh, I don't know, what do we call it? Yeah. Perspective or, yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, that's all well and good. It's like, yeah, we have these constructs, traditional trends of art and beauty, mm -hmm modern trends of art and beauty now you've pulled the rug from underneath that mm -hmm. and we could say that that kind of laundry basket that that's upside down sorry yeah. we haven't got it in shot <laughs> because i thought it was pretty ugly it was for actually your, for your enjoyment <laughs> so this is probably a really ugly thing to have in the shot anyway so we could put that in a museum and say that's art uh -huh. and even more so like in chiang mai we could say oh yeah it's like um you know, it's, it's art from an unknown and undiscovered culture. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Even more valuable, yeah. right? So amazing things have happened because we've pulled the rug underneath that that form of beauty. But the problem in this age when everyone's subjective, well, I like this and I like, I like this woman and I like that woman yeah. and I like this and my preference is this and anything is art if you put it in a museum. Right. All of a sudden we get to this kind of level playing ground where nothing is more valuable nothing is more beautiful or nothing is more true than anything else yeah and then everything's kind of meaningless arbitrary yeah <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah 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 this is uh i don't know if anyone can hear the airplane um but uh i don't know if i can say that anymore um test it out. it's reminding me of um when i was in college i had to take a photography i had to take an art elective wasn't interested in art at all and so I picked photography because it seemed like the most like practical art nice. and I every art project I got a D and I didn't know why sometimes I tried really hard to like make the clouds look cool I took all these pictures of clouds and I got a D and then on the last day I was so fed up with on the last project I was so fed up with this class and I'm like 
I'm just going to, I was reading this psychology book about how the left side of your face uh, demonstrates your emotional brain and the right side of your face demonstrates like, it's actually really fascinating. I could speak more on that. But I was like, I'm just going to take three pictures of my roommates and like split their faces and then tell the story. And I got an A. And I, a part of me was like kind of upset that like, I, I know I bullshitted. Like I put zero effort into this, but I told a good story and the professor liked it and she gave me an A. Yeah. And I was like, is this, I guess there is no, so, and I was very very cynical about art for a long time no kidding it. yeah so it's a technically inferior piece of art with zero effort almost okay. no effort right. and i told a good story yeah, yeah. there you go so <laughs> this this is my perception on postmodern art and the art world that we're in at the moment and this has a massive influence mm -hmm. on other fields like we could explore how that goes but it's like um there was technique that you were trying to apply mm -hmm. and you weren't being that successful. Yeah. But then you, you come to the, the art table with a trick of the intellect uh -huh. and all of a sudden you get an A. Yeah. So it's like, well done, Ruan. Like yeah. you've won the game, <laughs> which means you deconstruct everything that's kind of normal and that you're trying to achieve in art and, and you deliver an intellectual trick mm -hmm. and then, then you win. And I think like why the average man on the street feels so dissociated, cut out of art, mm -hmm. why, why the art world is like this stuck up kind of affair happening in expensive mansions on hills with mm -hmm. very skinny people, you know, with weird fitting clothes <laughs> and they're all like talking to each other about art and we can't get into that. So we uh -huh. can't care about art. So we miss anything useful and beautiful that art might have uh -huh. because it belongs to some academic elite. Right. And it seems that a lot of this academic elite are just trying to outwit each other with sleight of mind. Right. 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it's like the art world seems like this very disembodied affair uh -huh. where it's like, yeah, but if I cut a photo at a different angle to you, then I've got a twist and I've got a one I, I've, I've, I don't know, deconstructed your thing and I've one up to you in a very abstracted kind of yeah. way. Yeah. And the hard thing is that this is like the go around is like, what if there, what if there is something that we're missing and we just wouldn't, I mean, we, how could we know, not know too? But I think, I don't know if we were speaking about this the other day about how I've been reading a lot of like the classics in, in literature and I'm like, none of these books would be popular today because people don't have the attention span to really appreciate the average person my age or millennials or younger don't have the attention span to appreciate the long drawn out things of Dostoevsky or something like that. Not, not, and I don't even, like I've yeah. been trying to read, I'm like, I know this is a good book. Everyone says it's a good book, but I'm like, I don't think I can really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Something is perhaps lost <laughs> or the attention span to appreciate classical music. Yeah. We're heading into Sir Roger Scruton's area now that because that's one of the big crimes uh -huh. that he's talking about and it's just the way we've we've coalesced around this instant culture like this instant mm -hmm. gratification i can click on this even for me if i go on facebook and it's like oh yeah this article is 10 minutes long i don't want anything to do with yeah. it so i want it i want it 30 seconds or less because so so i'm in that i get yeah. it as well but or or I, I, I sorry, I was just bringing this up because I was thinking maybe the intelligentsia of a hundred years ago was masking what could have been said, like written like Hemingway, but they were using these like long drawn out sentences to keep certain people away from reading 
literature. And like that was their version of the people in the hills wearing weird fitted clothing. Like you, you are do, like, most people can't understand it. So we're going to keep this like quality writing to ourselves. Whereas right. in the modern age of copywriting and like getting clicks, it's like they're actually coming down to the people for the first time so they could get your money. You know? Yeah, they actually say, hey, make spelling mistakes in this because you'll, you'll be more relatable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> what's his name? Richard, uh, Richard, sorry. Russell Brunson okay. like, says that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, leave your, you leave your typos there. <laughs> yeah. But some something is lost. Um, well, I guess it's a question. I don't know if something is lost. Something is definitely lost. You're sure? Yeah. Okay. I'll put money on that. <laughs> okay. And and so this this goes into Roger Scruton's philosophy very much. I want to say, you know, like self-disclosure, I'm not like an art theorist or anything like this. So mm -hmm. I actually did an elective in um, philosophy of art mm -hmm. at the university. I don't remember very much apart mm -hmm. from they there was a Soviet painting in the 20s and they just painted the canvas red. Uh -huh. And so the communists considered that the best piece of art of the decade. Uh -huh. Like, look how red it is. <laughs> Resplendent, you know? It just um, backs up our, our political ideal. So, uh -huh. so it was like, art is political. That was the frame they wanted to put on it. And so so that we're, we're in this situation now where people are saying there's no greater or lesser beauty there's no greater or lesser truth everything can be deconstructed everything is up for grabs um so you know just put what you want in you put your unmade bed or you can just stand up on stage and burp mm -hmm. and that is valuable because you say it is yeah and then so with the with the long form thing and also with the social media thing of like my attention span is not so not right. so big what we're missing out on is the attention needed to grapple with complex human emotions uh -huh. and dynamics and get the big payoff the yeah. massive payoff yeah. so one of the i haven't read dostoyevsky Dost Dost <laughs> one, one of the the novels i was very impacted by is a hundred years of solitude love that yeah and so that's not just a story it's like a saga of many different generations of this family right and it's this way a story will come in and then it will leave and then it will twist and someone else will come and then a new character will come in and you don't know them at first but they're in your heart within 30 yeah. pages and then they're dead in another <laughs> yeah. thing. and it's like you know what am i to do like the heart is kind of aghast with just in a way, how slow moving this place of Mokondo is, but mm -hmm. then how quick it actually starts to change. And it's like, I, I, I'm just taking root here and now it's being pulled out from underneath me. It's like so much gets transmitted in this story about right. the nature of your life, where it, it's like this pioneering thing of childhood that you march into with all yeah. this gusto. You go through all these different mistakes. And as soon as you get a sense of stability and culture, you start feeling it getting tugged away from you. And it's like, how can you not just describe those facets of human experience, but how can you make another person feel that? Right. So they're like, holy fucking shit. This book is speaking my life that I know so intimately that I've never shared with anyone else in my life. How can I ever share these feelings with yeah. another? It's so difficult. And then a great novelist comes along and says, through story, it's like show, don't tell. Right. But he draws the picture of like, this is what happens to this, these people and these pioneers. They make this, they make this town, this city, and then this happens to it. And you feel parts of your life through it and all of a sudden we've got a way to be like 
wow, there was so much grief and anguish and difficult feelings that I suffer completely alone in my own life. Yeah. I've got no way to express that. But thanks to reading this book, right. I feel somehow like someone out there gets me and I'm not alone because at least I've got my book. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, and that's the... That's the gift of a great novel. That's why masterpieces are masterpieces because millions of people have read those pages and had a similar experience of, I read about uh, Garcia Marcus's Columbia and I was transported too and I feel enriched too and I feel less, you know, even if life is this devastating thing, which yeah. it is, like I've got some, like something in my soul is heartened or connected or can relax because I'm not the only one with this experience. Yeah. And you're not going to get that no matter how good your Facebook posts are these <laughs> yeah. days. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder. Um, yeah. I wonder. Cause I think you were saying, I, I believe you're maybe sharing Roger Scruton's idea on classical music. Isn't pleasant. Or we were yeah, talking about yeah, it. I remember yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like you kind of have to suffer through like monotony. It's like oh, this is just sounds by violins or string instruments. Yeah. And then I was sharing like I've been listening to enough classical music to know. But I was sharing the I'll I'll, I'll put it in the introduction. I forget what it's called. But Yo Yo Ma's most favorite song. Uh, his top song on Spotify. Which I most still people, haven't listened to this. Most yeah. people will recognize it, I think. It's just like it's been used in commercials, I believe, and stuff like that. And listening to it, it's in my workout playlist. I have like hip-hop and I have other things and I have this song because it's it's like, you know, whatever. Classical music doesn't do anything for me. And at a certain point, it changes octaves and I get so emotional. Like I just like suffered and I finally made it. And I always have this feeling every yeah. time. I have to pay attention to it though. If it's in the background, no emotional experience. But if I'm paying attention to the music and that, that change happens, like my eyes well up. And is that what quality is? Is that what beauty is? I don't know. <laughs> I think there's something about beauty, which is we, we really know beauty at its most uh, resplendent, to give mm -hmm. it a word. Um, when it's juxtaposed against something else. So you know that with in, in love, in romance, it's so much better to get the girl mm -hmm. after a period of torture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, 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 you know, we're, we don't want to play games and we don't want to go through that kind of old school, you know, like playing games and hard to get and all that kind of stuff. But there is something about the tension, which is if you don't sleep with someone the first night, if you let it simmer slowly, if you go through these moments of like, oh, wow, it felt like she really liked me and now I'm not so sure and I feel really confident mm -hmm. and now I'm starting to feel insecure. And then it, after all of that dance, it comes to fruition. Yeah. Like the first night you have together, there's such a, uh, like the heart's just ripped apart. Uh -huh. You're vulnerable and you're both vulnerable and you're together in it. And it's like, that's a rush. Very few people have that in a one night stand. So yeah. there's beauty in relationships we don't want to play games just to ham up the circumstances, mm -hmm. but I feel that the more mature I get, the longer I want to leave it before I sleep with a partner mm. because I like to feel all these different textures play out over time, like a piece of classical music. Mm. And then all of a sudden when <laughs> you want to suffer for a little bit or not, not have the immediate payoff is a better way yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so in music mm -hmm. literature as well, Music's such a good example because we re relate to it much more immediately, I think, than any other kind of music and any other kind of art. But you listen to maybe five minutes, and for two or three of those minutes, it starts getting excruciating. I've had the experience of like inviting a friend round, 
putting on this and I'm like, this is the best piece of music you can ever hear. Like, let's listen to it. Yeah. Two minutes in, I'm like, oh my God, I forgot that six minutes of this song is like literally awful. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I'm watching the poor guy's face and I'm just praying that as soon as it kind of drops into yeah. the sweetness or, or the relief part of it, he's going to get off on it as much as I do. And yeah. he might absolutely not. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's that thing about art is at its most valuable. So I believe there's a hierarchy of beauty and mm -hmm. a hierarchy of truth and, and value in art. Not everything's equal. Mm -hmm. You can't present that and say, this is an indigenous upside down wastebasket. Therefore, it's better than anything out there. Yeah. And you need to view it as well. There's, I think if we can see the mirror of our complex emotions through a great piece of art and then feel like this soul soothing, um, we feel consoled, like life is right. I've got spirit to continue mm. to the extent that we can feel that we've got a good work of art that is worth topping those lists of best hundred books of the century. Right. Cause they grade them against some criteria and that's yeah. what I take to be the criteria. And so for a piece of music to be like one of the greatest pieces of music, like a transcendent piece of music, there needs to be an agony so that the ecstasy is so much more sweet. Hmm. You can't just put ecstasy on loop yeah. or, and, and you feel uh, modern music, like hip hop, techno house music. If you ever listen to a DJ that just puts on hit after hit after hit, yeah. after 10 minutes, you get bored. And leave yeah. the room. It's like, <laughs> you can't start your set with the most banging popular track because everything you place after that is, is, is the energy is going to come down. Yeah. Like the any, surprise. Yeah, yeah. Any DJ worth his soul is going to like, like take you on a journey and to be on a journey, you need points of uncertainty or mm. David Lynch. I recommended to you the other day to yeah. watch a movie by David Lynch, like Mulholland Drive or Inland Empire. Mm -hmm. You've got 45 minutes and you're like, this is fucking horrific. Like watching this movie is viscerally painful. Like, <laughs> I don't know how much more I can take before I stand up and leave the cinema. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden something dissolves and he puts on a piece of music and it just goes into you. Mm -hmm. Like I did not see that coming. Like the relief. That's it's, how very, I, it's very yeah. S and M. That's how I felt about, um, there will be blood. Have you seen that Daniel day Lewis? No, no. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's like, I thought it was super monotonous and then there's like a punch at the end and you kind of appreciate <laughs> the rest of the movie. Right. Um, yeah, actually, we were speaking, speaking about like the one night stands versus the immediate gratification. I was actually think, I was trying to explain this to my girlfriend recently because um, I've been, she's been meeting guys that I've worked with and stuff or like in the past, like guys who I'm like helping in some way. And I know how much getting laid means to them. And when you say it like that, especially to a woman, especially to a woman who maybe gets hit on a lot and like, it's like trying to fend away. She's like, oh yeah, these boys just want to get laid. But like, I know, and, and I'm sure, you know, like when you're a, say years of struggle or self-esteem issues or challenge or feeling not the man you want to be like, it actually means a lot. It's like, like, it, like uh, a guy who's like eating shit in the dating world for five years when he gets laid by a woman, he really admires and thinks is so beautiful it's that same like the, the beauty that means more because of the agony <laughs> you know like i i know like I, just one guy he, he came to hang out uh yeah and, like he he got laid and it's just like what not whatever he i think he was speaking in the just crass terms but 
I could recognize the tears in his eyes that this meant something to him. Right. And I, I would just wish people could understand. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, that's an experience that, that women, I think, do struggle to empathize with, mm -hmm. with men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's why I love beauty so much now, because I had so many years in the desert, you know? Mm. But, but so many of us are in the desert because mm -hmm. there's getting laid and then there's like a moment of you didn't just have sex with someone but the heart's opened and you got to see a bit of each other's soul like that vulnerable moment mm -hmm. where it's like oh yeah you're not just like this face and this body that i had but like i felt something in you that was more human yeah and you go away and it's like i mean i had several moments of this where it was like oh wow like i was asked an interesting question what's more intimate um, having sex with someone or being naked and looking at each other? Yeah, I think most would say the latter. Are you familiar with the book Radical Honesty? Read it a few years ago. Okay. Many right. years ago. Wait, actually. And I actually haven't finished it. I got the idea of the book, but uh, there's two exercises he suggested to couples, which is one, spend three hours telling your your life story one way to each other, and the other person just listens, which I've done with some close friends. It's actually really, like, it's a beautiful experience. The other one, which I haven't, well, uh, is, like, masturbate to completion in front of each other. And he says that's more intimate than sex for most people, and yeah. most people, that's, like, a big, way bigger challenge than entering each other's bodies or anything. Yeah. Yeah, so it's amazing, like, that thing of, okay, I'm going to literally you're going to watch me as I masturbate to completion and I have to feel myself being watched with yeah. all the embarrassment and shame that that's yeah. going to bring up. And then you saw a window into the most secret part of my humanity and that's like terrifying. And yet in that level of intimacy, we'll both, whatever happens, we'll both leave the building like, like today was something. Yeah. That, that kind of intimacy is just a higher there's a higher order of truth yeah you know not all one night stands are equal right <laughs> <laughs> i'm curious about uh you know obviously we're, we're philosophizing about beauty and whatnot but as far as you, if you have any guidelines for the way you live your life or maybe any principles around like how you seek beauty or maybe how it how you how you actually let it guide you maybe some examples where we can go back and like this is kind of how i let beauty guide me Oh my God, don't quite know where to start with that. Well, I was particularly interested in, you, you shared a little bit with me about your nomad life pre-digital nomad. <laughs> and then like, that seems like an adventure that anyone from now can't really have. And, uh, you know, it was just a few years earlier than, you know. Yeah. Um, and if it seems, I mean, I might, I might be over romanticizing it. So you tell me if whatever, but it's like, uh, it's like, there's something about not, not pre Instagram yeah. traveling the world where yeah. you're really just doing it for yourself. Like there's no, and, and that seems uh, to be something I'm fascinated There's no, about, there's yeah. no personal brand building that right. I do on these travels. It was just, yeah. I think if there's one word that I could bring back to secular society and have people understand the merits of it, it would be soul. 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 So 
lot of people might think that's a very weird new age concept mm. or this ancient kind of traditional thing. But um, there is a part of us that knows something that is deeper than the day-to-day reality that we see. Mm-hmm. Not everyone is going to stay with me on this conversation. Mm-hmm. And yet some people will like straight away, like, yeah, I get it. We all know soul because it's in music, right? This mm-hmm. this tune has soul. This one really doesn't. So even if you're very secular and skeptical, you right. probably agree that there's something called soul. So a part of me always knew that there was a reality greater than the one I lived in, in modern United Kingdom during the um, early, what are they called? The early 2000s, mm-hmm. like that era, the mm-hmm. kind of George Bush, Tony Blair. Yeah. Um, when everyone was like feeding off this really strong economy, mm-hmm. like let's hedonism central, yeah. the, the 2008 crisis hadn't yet hit. Yeah. There was like no reflectiveness in, in the broader, there was very po- small pockets of like, this is what we're actually doing with our lives. Right. But everyone was just in the feeding frenzy of the good economy and money. Uh-huh. And let's just in England, oh wow, it's Friday night. Let's get on a flight and go to Prague, Czech Republic, spend a few hundred pounds on beer and, mm-hmm. and women and then yeah. come back on Monday morning, just work hard, play hard in that yeah. degree. And, and this is sort of when you're in university around that? Yeah, university and then just after. Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, well, there's no soul in that. Yeah. Because I feel the way that just work and study is a big competition and then even drinking is a big competition Mm -hmm. and so there's a part of me that knows that there's a deeper beauty that is at stake Mm -hmm. and I didn't know where it was but I saw Penelope Cruz in movies (laughs) (laughs) she was pretty (laughs) objectively yeah yeah, there was a muse right Uh there was a muse and I heard um like somewhere between all of the dreadful pop music at the time who was top in that that period? I don't even know, but it was like hip hop, like really kind of. But but Buena Vista Social Club kind of found their way into the the, the circulation, mm-hmm. and I'm like, wow, there's like this really fucking like organic, beautiful Cuban music. All these musicians are like 70 years old, and they're producing mm-hmm. something of more worth than the biggest selling artists in the world, and. Like there's something out there that speaks to me more deeply than than this, mm-hmm. right? Than the modern life. Mm-hmm. So I just knew I had to go and seek it. Mm-hmm. Go traveling. I went to South America. First stop was California, but I quickly crossed into Mexico, mm-hmm. and I spent about three years in South Central South America, mm-hmm. just searching for that. Like, what is that? And to my young mind, it was all about finding the Penelope Cruz, mm-hmm. like okay, if I have a Mexican or a Colombian or an Argentinian uh-huh. woman like this, then like your, your man who's got laid after five years, yeah. that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like my wonderful, perfect woman is going to be that. But as I reflect on it more now, it's, um, there's a deeper quality of romance that I long for on the road, even more than finding the dream girl. Hmm. And I saw this in, Maybe I'm getting a bit off topic, but we were in Taiwan the other day. And in Taiwan, they've, when, when the people that run the islands fled the mainland China, they took a lot of the great um, historic Chinese pieces of art with them. 
because the communists were burning it all. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to preserve it, and they do in Taiwan. They've got this big palace full of ancient Chinese art. Mm. There was a great exhibition on the elegant gathering. Mm. And the elegant gathering, all of the... All of refined society at that time, cultivated people, they would get together and they would share the games of the day and the poems that they had written Mm. and um, the calligraphy that they were drawing and the way that they were serving tea and maybe the martial arts that they were developing. Mm. And so people would come from all these different provinces, sit together in this elegant gathering and for three or four days, they would just have this merging of the minds. Mm. And it was in this gathering that culture got moved forward because it's like, oh, wow, you're doing, you're doing calligraphy like this. I'm doing it like this. Well, if I take what you're doing and what I'm doing, then we're going to end up with this. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, yeah, but there's also this. And, yeah. and so there's this great, and every gathering that they did would advance the culture further. This is like nearly 2000 years ago, yeah. like in the third, fifth century approximately. And so one of the pastimes was, they would, <laughs> they would float teacups down a river uh-huh. and they'd fill up these teacups with a little bit of wine. Uh-huh. And then the, the, the teacup would float down the river and I would have to stop it with a stick when it came to me. And then I'd spontaneously stand up and have to recite verse, right? <laughs> Give poetry. This is uh-huh. my, what do they do in New York? It's like that face, face off of like uh, beatboxing or whatever. No, there you go. Rapping, free, freestyle. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so I'd have to stand up and deliver some verses and lay the smack <laughs> and down. And then drop the mic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Drop the teacup. <laughs> and if I couldn't spontaneously come out with good poetry, I would have to drink the wine. Mm-hmm. So these people were half getting smashed by the riverside, uh-huh. beautiful pastime. Uh-huh. And then the others are like, literally, I want to impress everyone. So there's this element of competition in the cultural advancement. Mm-hmm. And so what, the, what a lot of the men were doing, and we saw great, um, there was just great drawings that illustrated this. A lot of the men would be like, okay, so, that, so I want to impress in the next elegant gathering. I want to put my mark on culture and be seen as, you know, a good mind they would uh, go off on these ventures where to like really horrible, inhospitable lands. And they'd go with a donkey or a guide or whatever it was. Mm. And they would just go to the edges of hospitable, like wherever they could get to. And then they would sit in that nothingness of poverty and abandon and loneliness. And just like, this is the edge of the world and I'm lonely and my soul is being brutalized here by these conditions. And from that, it's like the, the, the soul or the heart would be opened or tenderized or you would face like the bleakness of life and the bleakness of your existence. And in that moment, you'd be open to something new. Like, wow, that was the crucible in which I could find my human depths. Hmm. And then they would go back into civilization, be like carrying the energy of what they saw and being able to spurt the poetry of the things that they'd seen and the depths of the soul that they had now encountered and another round of art and culture would kick off. Hmm. And I'm saying this because there's obviously like the wave of tourism and traveling, which is like, just want to go and fit in with my friends or get laid or get drunk and have a crazy time and tell right. everyone about it. But then there's a different form of traveling, which is the, the 
travel that I always did and that I like to talk about and the kind of group around me talks mm-hmm. about, which is, yeah, but we, we, we're kind of crazy and we wanted to fling ourselves into the abyss to, to get a taste of life or soul or the transcendent. Yeah. And it seemed very spooky and ill-advised. All the women are like, why don't you stay at home with us? <laughs> why are you doing it? My mum never got it. My girlfriend thinks it's weird. All of the women I met along the way were like, why don't you live with your family? And why don't you stay with one of your girlfriends? Why yeah. you But it was like, I have to know this unknowable thing. Yeah. Yeah. And men get it. Because as soon as you said that, I'm like, Everything I said about there being no objective beauty, I don't believe that. I mean, I, I this is like when I was like, oh, yeah, of course, a vision quest puts you in touch with something that is uh, that is true regardless of our perception. And I that's, you know, that's, uh, yeah, it's the closest to truth. Yeah. 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 So, so what is that? Yeah. That we feel when we're like in I'm the on void. The, yeah, yeah. I'm on the mountain pass. I don't know if I'm in, I've got enough food for tonight. I don't know where I'm going to stay. Mm-hmm. I've had this hitchhiking in Mexico. No one speaks English. I assume they would, and I don't speak any Spanish yet. I hope someone kind of rescues me with some generous hospitality, because if they don't, I'm screwed. Uh-huh. And, and they always did, but I got to be on midnight sometimes before that had actually happened. Yeah. And it, and it's just that like bleak uncertainty. I'm fucking alone and life might get me like I'm that close to death, the void. Yeah. Yeah. In there is something that has to be found. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the monomyth and like the hero's journey that every movie goes by, like the hero always gets the truth when in the dark night of the soul, it's yeah. the only, when everything is stripped away and that's so universally recognizable that every movie follows that structure now because it's so, it's yeah. so in us. Um, yeah. And perhaps that's what's getting lost with our extra things that distract us and short because you need a you need an attention span to recognize something in a void. Yeah. 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 So to go back to your question, how do I organize my life to seek beauty? Some people are really gonna get this conversation and be like, Oh yeah, I've my my I have a soul that knows that there's a beauty and I wanna move towards it. Mm-hmm. And then some people might just not get that, like whatever their concerns are are their concerns and they're not concerned about this thing that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. And so to talk of beauty to someone who is really not concerned with it is, um, you know, preaching to the deaf, like the, mm-hmm. you're sermonizing. They don't want to hear that message and you're right. trying to convert them. So generally don't go there, mm-hmm. but there are some people it's like, how do I move my life towards beauty more and more and more at the big decision points of my life? I always chose, like, what does my soul need to move towards? Is it this place which is stable and functional? Or Mm -hmm. is it this place which somehow romantically is a bit mesmerizing and draws me to it? Like, Argentina was not the best place for my economic prospects as a 24-year-old. Yeah. But it was definitely a place that my heart was like, there's something here, a tremendous soul. And it is. I mean, it's a phenomenal country Mm -hmm. and culture. Mm. aside from the women who are yeah. gorgeous <laughs> there's a depth there yeah it's uh i think it's part of the fascination with dystopian fiction is that in those realities like, or like the walking dead is maybe a more recent like in those realities apocalyptic realities everything is unnecessary stripped away and then people can be people 
it's like it's actually I was just telling a buddy I was trying to convince him to go to jujitsu and he's he's uh he's hesitant to it i'm not you know i'm i'm like get a little evangelical about things i'm into but he was saying like <laughs> what, what he did appreciate about the one class he went to is that when he was getting choked by someone he did not care about anything that was on his computer and like all the things that were stressing it's like well yeah when someone could snap your neck you don't think you don't really it's like that's what's important not the email you have to get back to he got in the moment yeah yeah but he, i couldn't get him to come back a second time <laughs> he could tell me the beauty of the experience we just had but he wasn't going to come back anyway yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think beauty, beauty pulls. I think if anyone's made that decision in their life that they want beauty to be a priority, mm -hmm. that can be a decision you make now. But I don't know about you, but when I'm working, I put on headphones and I usually just put on YouTube, like click on the song that I want and then it's got a playlist. Mm -hmm. And after a few songs, it's in a place that I don't recognize. Mm -hmm all these different other songs come through that I never heard before, then it's like the randomness, right? Mm -hmm. Total randomness of what YouTube's going to provide. And then sometimes I'm working away and something starts pouring through my ears and it's like, what is that? Because I didn't search for it, mm -hmm. but you're feeding me with something and there's just several times where I have to stop, put down what I'm working on, watch the video that's in front of me mm -hmm. and just allow myself to be mesmerized by it. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, okay, there's a new artist on my radar. I can go and check out their new album or their back catalog. And the rabbit hole opens. And yeah, beauty comes in. And in the midst of the plan, my plans, all of a sudden, my, my spirit gets hijacked by this other thing that comes in and enriches my life immeasurably. Mm. Then I have to know when to put that down and actually get on with something. Yeah, that, that's but, why I can't listen to music. Because either I'm, I don't care or I need to pay attention to it. Yeah, not, uh, not when I'm working. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so huge serendipity effect. Do I follow my will through mm -hmm. life or do I open to what might come? Yeah. Uh, the path of beauty is not the best paying path. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's also like what's Something the money well for, integrated. right? Exactly. Yeah. And then you're like, a, what, a billionaire and you're trying to buy art to, to get a piece of your soul back that you right. weren't in touch with for the last 20 years or however long it takes you to. Yeah. To well, I, I mean, on the riches. whole agony piece, like I appreciate money so much now because I went so long without any, like I... I don't know. I mean, I might be, this might be a silly statement, but like, I really enjoy looking at index funds now. Whereas like, it was, it was the most boring thing. And when I was 23, I was like, that's so stupid. Like seek the beauty. And then I, you know, anyway, um, you, you said a couple of times to me recently that you're planning on basing back in England and, and it seems to like, you're, you're kind of like returning back to, the, can you speak a little bit about that? Cause you've spent yeah. all this time. It's been how, I mean, you, how long? 15 years yeah like the first long-term trip abroad that i made would be about 16 17 years ago mm -hmm. and i left england kind of for good 13 years let's mm -hmm. say pop back for a couple of months here or there but that's about mm -hmm. it and yeah i following my soul i guess to give it a word mm -hmm. when i think about what's the greatest way that I can give my gifts and the things that I found to the world and what's going to fill me with a great sense of 
goes beyond accomplishment. Fulfillment, like a deep fulfillment, is to really reconnect with my culture of origin and give my gifts back to it. Mm -hmm. So I left the UK because I wanted to rid my own system of the shit that was going on there at the time. Yeah. The way that I had been formed by my cultural upbringing and the things that were going on in that decade of time. That decade of time between the year 2000 and about 2012, mm -hmm. I would say it's like the cultural fucking cesspool. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. um, Worldwide or in England? In the West. Yeah. In the West. Mm -hmm. Definitely in England. And then something seems to be seems to have been shifting over the last few years. Like people are actually getting more reconnected to their hearts. Culture mm -hmm. seems to pop music and so on seems to be coming backwards out of some kind of abyss. Mm -hmm. More beauty is coming back. I think that's my perception. Maybe it's just my perception of how out might touch be with my own soul. And I'm projecting it all on my country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the YouTube. Uh, didn't have a good algorithm but yeah yeah the <laughs> algorithm's improved anyway but you know people of my country seek me out because mm -hmm. they want to do the journey that i went on so i mean i work with a lot of americans germans scandinavian like there's obviously a worldwide edge to it but english british people seek me out and they're struggling with the thing that I was struggling with most as well, which is we live in this polarized We live in this polarized society. We've been taught to suppress who we are. Sexuality, yes, but sex is not even the most important thing here. Mm -hmm. We're taught to repress our love and our beauty and our soul and our longing. Mm -hmm. Most people that I speak to are like, yeah, I want to have the one night stand, but really I want to get the sense that she kind of likes me as well. Mm -hmm. And it was for real in the heart. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, in my culture, the amount of people that are suppressing their hearts mm -hmm. is incredible. Mm -hmm. Incredible. And how to win at the dating game i.e. how to meet someone that you actually really connect with and feel fulfilled with mm -hmm. in a dating game where both men and women are like chronically walled off and they don't know how to express themselves well and there's yeah. terrible insecurity and then any that fear of being confident because you might be perceived as being arrogant right. and there's just so many layers that get in the way so yeah it's easy to have a few drinks and hook up or whatever but men men whose perspective I know very well are looking for a way through how can I get through her walls but they're still behind their own mm -hmm. there's a massive process not only is not only for us to like get rid of our own layers and defenses against the love and intimacy that we long for but also to peel hers off along the way mm -hmm. that's a massive job so massive and and is I'm trying to understand your Everything you're like uh, the biggest way that you can contribute to beauty is going back to England. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Nailed it. <laughs> so I, might, I don't want to oversimplify what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. No. I mean, like they, they talk about medicine, right? We uh -huh. all carry a kind of medicine, and if we go out on our hero's journey, we find we beat we we defeat our own dragons and demons along mm -hmm. the way, and then we figure out what kind of elixir or what kind of medicine we can bring back to the village folk. 
And it's like my journey will be different to yours. There are big things in common, but they're slightly different. Mm -hmm. And when I come through the other side, it's like these are the things that I discovered. This is medicine I've got now. Mm -hmm. And my medicine goes best to the people of my my original towns. Yes. Not completely. I can help others, but there's a particular way that the the English disconnect with each other. And it's just like I could do so much good work in that. Yeah. Um, and help these amazing people because it's a beautiful soul that people have. And I see it so vibrantly. Mm-hmm. I the men I work with are like, yeah, but women are like this and women are like that. And I like coming to Thailand or I like going to South America because the women are vibrant and open. Well, the women are vibrant and open back home as well. If you know how to relate with them in a certain way, Yeah, you got to bring a certain foot forward in order to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I do think that, yeah, I'm just going to run away to, um, Colombia or Thailand where the women are easy. It's going to enrich your life with a lot with some easier relationship dynamics, mm. but then it's going to complicate them further because you're still going to come up against yourself in right. the end. Uh-huh. Like the whole thing of, I'm just going to move to a foreign country because of, like I can run away from the, the problem of women. Mm-hmm. As soon as I get out of New York or the States or London and go to Eastern Europe or South America, I'm going to sidestep all the horrible cultural problems with women and then it's going to be easy. Yeah, in my fantasy world. But no, you get there, and wherever you travel to, you're still going to come a- across the same kind of issues. Like, okay, your dating life might really go up. Mm-hmm. When it comes to intimate relationship, you're not going to just uproot your terrible, terrifying fears yeah, and, yeah. and attachment patterns because you move country. Mm-hmm. You're going to get hit with a lot of other cultural conflicts as well. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult whichever way you do it. Mm-hmm. To cut along side road short <laughs> um, English women are fucking remarkable and the men are missing that mm. and English men are fucking remarkable but they've got so many ways of disconnecting mm. and and taking the conversation elsewhere so you can't feel who they are mm-hmm. but do you feel there's value to changing locations like even with all of that said and you go back to England and you, you bring back the medicine that like I'm just I'm asking if someone has the means or the opportunity, don't you think it would benefit them to go to Colombia or Thailand or something just to maybe see what see what they can experience outside of their definitely. Norm? I yeah. mean, I did it. Uh-huh. I wouldn't say don't do this. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I think it touches me quite deeply. I get to, maybe this is just like a result of living a life of beauty and really considering what is beautiful mm-hmm. and, and what inspires me intrinsically from the inside. But it's like going back to a hundred years of solitude. You know, you could write a hundred years of um, journeying around the world mm-hmm. and maybe all these travels were the, the precursor of that moment of ultimate relief. Like, this always was my home. It might not be my home for the rest of my life, but I've got something to give back to my home. Mm. And a sense of relief in that. Mm. Like, here you go. Like, you're, you're, you're my brothers and sisters here. You're people that I know on a deep fundamental level. I've been kind of running away from you for many years because you remind me too much of myself, which I didn't want to face. Mm. And now I get to, like, give something out of compassion to you because I actually 
feel, wow, my people, they're so amazing. And, and they, a lot of people need yeah. some support. And I can give that. And, and that is soul-stirring. Mm. Like, object, like there's, there's a beauty to me, which is, uh, is it objective beauty? Yeah. To reach one's completion and come close to their yeah. purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can resonate a little bit. I, I mean, to like, uh, lately I've been focusing just on men and most of my email list is actually women from things I've done before. And I recently I've been getting emails from women like, how come you're always talking about men? And I just told them like, like as I go deeper into this work of wanting to help people, one, I mean, there's a, there's, I think knowing things can only take you so far. There's a certain level where I think I can really only help when I can empathize with the story. And as much as I think I may or may not give advice to a woman or someone who hasn't, like I can really like go into the hole with someone who's had an experience like I've had. And, and it's just more interesting and I feel more impactful. And like when I forget about everything else and just like, what is the best use of my attention? It's, it's got stuff that I can relate to. Yeah. 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 I don't know if I'll ever want to go back to New York, but maybe, maybe in a few years I'll, I'll have the same feeling that, that you have. You grew up there, right? I grew up in New York, yeah. Okay. We'll yeah. see. Yeah, the thought of going back for a long period of time still makes me like, ugh. Like, so you're pretty yeah. recent that you got out of New York. It's only been a couple of years. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. not even three or maybe coming, yeah, maybe a little more than three years now, but yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm not saying that every hero's journey has to culminate with going back home to the place of origin, but yeah, it inspires me a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, what are you working on now? Uh, you might be leaving Thailand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Might be moving to Bali at the end of January and having that as a kind of our half year hub. Mm -hmm. And then we'd go back to Europe uh, April, May and be between London and Romania. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it. Mosquitoes out here usually at this time of day we get. Oh yeah, well yeah. I think uh, not quite here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working on a, an intimacy program at the moment, mm -hmm. and yeah, just spending every day trying to get a lot of the thoughts and notes that I've collected over the last four to five years together in a way that I can present to take people on a journey into my perception of intimacy, mm -hmm. and yeah, it's testing beautiful like a lot of beautiful things and mm -hmm. can I do justice to these things that I've discovered and I've been impacted by over the years bring them together in a way that's going to do them justice and impact other people that's my creative uh, conundrum at the moment gotcha so that's what I'm working on yeah is there anything out on that project yet that people can uh, check up on no, not unless they find my scribbles okay. over the years, like somewhere in a forum, <laughs> okay. like in the Azamarata group or something like that. No, there will be. Okay. There cool. will be. Yeah. Well, yeah. let me know. I'll share it out. Sure thing. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. It's always a pleasure. Any, any final thoughts you want to share? Yeah. Tony Braxton. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one thing, because I came over to Ruin's house and I'm like, 
yeah, I didn't didn't prepare anything. I don't know what I want to talk about. I hand it over to you. Uh-huh. But Tony Braxton, because we were talking about Tony Braxton, because um, this is what is beauty, like what is useful, transcendent, transformative beauty, mm-hmm. a beauty which enriches and nourishes and transforms the soul versus a pseudo beauty, a fake beauty that keeps it in place yeah. and entrenches someone's like neuroses or their patterns. And so, so we were trying to talk, I was trying to tell you about Tony Braxton the right. other day right? <laughs> yeah. and, and I was not really successfully finding the way. So Roger Scruton picks on Tony Braxton, uh-huh. you know, unbreak my heart. Right, right. Okay. So all, all across North America, all across the UK, probably even the world. Um, I think collectively women, I've also resonated with this in my teenage years, come home drunk from the club at four Mm. o'clock in the morning, realize that the lover has not, you know, written a message. They're still out of touch and Mm -hmm. cracking open one more bottle of wine. They'll drink themselves into oblivion at 4 a.m. in the Mm -hmm. morning at the kitchen table, singing Unbreak My Heart at the top of the lungs, waking up the neighbors, Uh all the rest of it, right? So um, it, it seems like a really beautiful song. Yeah. And... Say that you'll love me again. <laughs> and, and there's been moments as well where I've been like, well, I'm drunk at four o'clock in the morning and I feel kind of sentimental and I'm thinking I'm break my heart and I'm lonely too. You know, I've, yeah. been, I've been on that wavelength. For like, yeah. It's been a moment in my life that that song resonated with me. Um, very popular song, iconic. It's almost a cultural archetype. Yeah. Tony Braxton, you know, yeah. the terrible heartbreak. But uh, Roger Scruton slams it. He says... This is not beauty. This is not uplifting or nourishing to the soul whatsoever. Uh-huh. And if if you listen to Tony Braxton, so I listened to this song the uh-huh. other day, being like, okay, let's get a fresh hit of that. And I'm like, yeah, there there are moments where she's really putting effort into some of the lyrics, mm-hmm. or like she's like, she's in this tender verse and she's hissing into the words. Yeah. Like she, there, there's an over dramatism uh-huh. in "Unbreak Your Heart." And it's melodramatic. So as a performer, she's trying to make it more impactful. A lot of the great American singers of the 90s, you know, uh-huh. like Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston, yeah. they're like, how can I... Like, this song's already got impact. How can I overkill it? You yeah. know, to really hammer it into people's hearts yeah. and souls. <laughs> it's overdone. Uh-huh. Um, but when you listen to Unbreak My Heart, you can listen to it five, 10, 15 times and it just goes around and around and around in a loop mm-hmm. and keeps you in that loop. And she's in denial of her pain. She's like, unbreak my heart, say you'll love me again, turn back the, you know, the years of her and all this kind of stuff. It's, she's basically saying in that song, I'm in pain and I don't want to feel it. I'm a victim. Get me the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. And so if you're the kind of person that puts this song on on repeat, you are also doing the same thing to your soul and your psyche. Mm. You're sitting and stewing in your own pain, denying your pain, not actually going anywhere with it. And so the phenomenon of Tony Braxton is uh, really unnourishing to the soul, hmm. according to Roger Scruton. I, I, all right, I, I, we need to, to touch on this. Like, so I'm, I'm thinking now, like, what, are, what were my versions? I'm thinking of like music that, when I was a depressed teenager, really resonated at the same frequency of depressed teenager. And I, I was yeah. like, and I remember at some point I had this rational split with my emotions was like, emotions make me feel bad. And I, you know, I've 
I think many, maybe many people have this when they get into personal development. And I was like, I'm never listening to rock music again. And I only listen to hip hop because they talk about getting laid and making money. And those are positive uh, things to put in my hey, head. Hey, right on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but still, I mean, I, I mean, I guess more recently as I've gone through certain <clears throat> cycles, I'll, I'll list, I have a play, I've, I have a playlist on my phone called Second Puberty, and it's all of my puberty depressed songs, Nirvana, whatever, um, Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, and uh, I, don't, I don't know if I have a point with this. I've just been listening to them again and allowing myself to feel certain sadness. But I, it's almost like I want to feel the sadness. I can't, I can't drop to the level that Smashing Pumpkins made me drop when I was 16. Right. And I... Uh, I want to feel the. I love nostalgia. I don't know why. I, it's one of my favorite. You speak Portuguese, right? Yeah, Saudade. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's one of my favorite words and emotions. And yeah. I almost take. Think, I think of taking it as a pen name because I love the the idea of like missingness or nostalgia. Anyway, so so there's a deeper level of nostalgia that you want to drop to. Right. That most music that you know cannot actually take you to. I have to really. I try hard. If I listen to like Creep by Radiohead, I have to really like feel like try to remember like getting rejected. And I, I don't, I don't quite drop yeah, there. Yeah, because Creep has been played so much, it's almost a cliche, right? Right. So it doesn't have that nourishment that you look that your soul is looking for. Yeah. And so the 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 search is: is there a deeper form of art or a deeper form of music that can take me to my deepest saudade mm -hmm. um, that I've never heard before that can impact me afresh for the first time? Yeah. Yeah, so it's a more refined kind of music that you haven't found yet. <laughs> so it has to be Yo-Yo Ma. <laughs> <laughs> For the moment, yeah. But but I found, I literally, do you know FKA Twigs? No. British artist. Mm. She's been going for most of this decade, but she's just come out with a new album called Magdalene. It's pretty phenomenal because mm -hmm. she's like, it's like, in a way, kind of abstract hip-hop, very experimental electronica, but she is uh, deeply informed by classical music mm. and, and, and real kind of uh, artistry with a voice. And so there's some very musical elements into this, even though it's very almost avant-garde modern thing. Mm -hmm. And I listened to her album, there's a track in it, and I was like, this is the antidote to Tony Braxton. Like, this is the <laughs> real soul of Tony Braxton. Uh -huh. So Tony Braxton is like... She so wants you to get to the pit of the soul of despair that she's willing you in. But it's just the fucking victimhood mm -hmm. again and again on cycle. But what FK Twigs is doing, maybe you could put this in the podcast somehow, but she, she has a song called um, Mirrored Heart. Mm -hmm. And she's talking about the same thing, that she was in a relationship. She's not in it anymore. And um, it's incredibly painful. And what she does with her lyrics is the lyrics are accepting of the pain mm. and the poetry of it. She's like, yeah, I'm in so much pain. You don't have to unbreak my heart. You don't have to tell me sweet nothings to take me out of it. I'm so feeling the pain to the point where I can find consolation in the pain. Mm. Like I've gone all the way through the pain that I can eat. My heart even breaks open at a new possibility. And I and I'm sat there thinking, like I moved like it was first time I heard the last few bars of that song. I'm also moved to tears like that was fucking breathtaking. Mm -hmm. She totally nailed it. And then the performance, rather than like trying to dramatize the song to to hammer the emotions of the song home, she sings her lyrics with much more of a surrender. Mm. 
a much more of a softness and a much more of a revealing. So rather than say that you love me, say that you love me, it's much more of a like, you, you can hear her voice kind of cracking oh. and the heart kind of softening and her revealing herself and surrendering. And so the impact, I believe that if every drunken person at four o'clock on a Saturday morning, 4 a.m. on a Saturday morning, who's listening to Tony Braxton, would swap that track for FKA Twigs, listen to this, there would be a reduction of alcoholism hmm. in the Western world because <laughs> it's a piece of music that actually takes the soul. It sounds like it has you confront the pain yeah. rather than sweeten it's, it. Or... It's like, thanks to your singing, you put the heartbreak of loss of a, of a romance mm -hmm so clearly on the table for me that I could actually feel my own heartbreak mm. and I could drop to the bottom of like what you were saying. I want to feel more nostalgia. I just can't get there sometimes. Yeah. The song actually invites you to the depth of the thing. And because you felt the depth of the pain through her feeling the depth of her pain first, mm -hmm. and you're a mirror of her, mm -hmm. you know, you resonate on that same level. Then all of a sudden that clears something in you like, wow, you took me somewhere. And I can literally like, so one thing I do with art, I'm just going to turn the light on. We can, yeah. we can keep going. I love, the, I love this topic so much. I can just keep going and going. Let's see. Beautiful fluorescent light. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, sky is amazing. Now, yeah. sunset <sighs> over here. So one, one, thing you, one thing you can ask yourself, which I started to ask is, when confronted by a piece of music or when seeing a painting, sit there in a meditational state, meditative state. Mm -hmm. So I can look at art, oh, this is shit, I don't like it. Oh, I, oh, this is a piece of art, I don't know what to do. Art is for arty fighty people and I'm just a plebeian, you know, I don't mm -hmm. know how to deal with this thing in front of me. Most people enter into a noise yeah. in front of art. Can you quieten the mind down and feel your heart and breathe and look at a work of art for a minute? Just breathe into your own heart and breathe into the imagined heart of the painting. Mm -hmm. Just see what comes up. Right? It's an object of meditation. Right. Right. Same with music. Can I um, turn off all distractions, shut my eyes and let this music penetrate me so I become as receptive as possible to the many different depths and layers that are transmitted in this piece of music? And then what does this piece of music do with me? Mm -hmm. And then I've got, now I really have a barometer, like my body and my being as an instrument for receiving this art and then having a form of knowing or having a form of, I was moved or I experienced this because, and so you can listen to, um, there's another person, Roger Scruton loves to trash, Katy Perry. Okay. <laughs> so you can meditate on Katy Perry. Okay going to breathe into my heart, put myself in a receptive state and put on Katy Perry and just see what Katy Perry's industrial commercial artwork is going to do with you. Uh -huh. And then you can do it to like something really uh, different, mm -hmm. something more, I don't know, well seen by the critics or a piece of classical music or the FK twigs that I'm talking about. So I do this quite a bit and I'm listening to this and I'm like, fuck, like the messages are just penetrating me at all these different levels. And yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a different depth of beauty and transmission that comes through like an FKA Twigs than a Tony Braxton, than a Katy Perry. And your soul will know it. Yeah. And then it's, you hear a song the first time, I cried my tears. 
finally I got over my heartbreak over that last relationship because I listened to this piece of music and it it said the thing that I was trying to say. I was telling all my friends about it. I was telling all the therapists about it. I was talking to all the coaches, reading all the books about it. Mm. And yet through this one piece of music, just like Garcia Marquez, she she said the thing that I needed to hear so that my loop could be closed and my soul could actually move on. Mm. Rather than having you still in it. Listen to Tony Braxton, you'll never get over your former boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Snuff out of it. (laughs) Just trying to think, did did Radiohead help me at all? Maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) I thought they did. I don't know. Well, it's funny, the story of Radiohead. They're they're from my, pretty much my hometown. Hmm. They're from a town called Abingdon, which is literally five, ten miles down the road from where Uh I grew up. They became very famous with, you know, like, OK Computer. Right. And as the years went by, they got more obscure. But Tom York, I've been listening to Tom York's solo stuff as well this week, and he's on a different wavelength now. And taking in his music, there's a track. Fuck, I can't say it, but it randomly came through YouTube. Mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, Tom York, like, you need to be put in a museum as one of the greatest relics of the 21st century, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Maybe my grandchildren will hear that YouTube video of you cracking open at the piano with so much tenderness and sensitivity yeah wow wow mm. lots of songs to listen to after this <laughs> yeah hopefully you'll never listen to music in the same way yeah yeah wow. cool yeah well thanks so much the sun's down so it's time to start a christmas party <laughs> yay Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to catch the rest of my work, go to Rwando.com. Catch me on social media, at Rwando. And please do not forget to subscribe.